We're going to talk today about restoration. And restoration is something that every uh, person has experienced who is a follower of Christ because our lives have gone through restoration. And would you agree, we're still going through the process, right? We are still becoming more and more like Christ. And so here we're going to read a, a story, if you will, uh, out of the Old Testament. But it is a, what we call a type or foreshadow of what is to come. We read in the Old Testament so many times about an event that happened, and when we see it from the perspective of Christ, we see that it was a type of Christ or a foreshadowing of something that is to come. And so we see things like Abraham, Abraham the father of faith, the one who uh, steps out in faith and trusts God that God has spoken to him and there's going to be a great and mighty nation that comes from his lineage and he waits 25 years for the promise of fulfillment in Isaac being born. But yet 13 years later, God instructs Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac on a mountain. And so Abraham, the father of faith, being faithful to God, says, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm going to go do this. And so what happens is he places the wood on Isaac's back, and Isaac climbs the hill. They build an altar, and Abraham is about ready to fulfill what God has told him to do. And of course, God stops him, obviously, and provides a, a sheep, a ram, and it was caught in a bush. We see that type and shadow that Isaac was a type of Christ carrying the wood on his back to be sacrificed. Christ carried the wood on his back and he was sacrificed for my sin, for your sin and the sin of the whole world. We look forward to, uh, to Moses, how Moses is the one who God chooses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, slavery, and then into, at the very brink of the promised land, prosperity. But in between there, there is a Red Sea crossing where God pushes back the waters of the Red Sea and Israel passes through the water on dry ground. It is a type of baptism. So we see that now as, as we see water baptism frequently, that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. So Israel went out, came out of slavery, out of sin, and is baptized and then ready for God's provision for their life. And so we see these. And so we're looking at this in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're see, we will see the same exact thing. This type and shadow or foreshadowing of what is to come. So we look there at a person named Mephibosheth. Everybody say that three times. No, I'm just kidding. Mephibosheth, let me just plug in the characters in this situation. Are you ready? Who was the first king of Israel? His name was Saul. So Saul is the first king. He does a great job for a short period of time, but he becomes really full of himself, and he thinks his decisions are better than God's decisions, and so he begins to operate the kingship of this nation of Israel his own way, doing what he thinks is best, and God says, that's not what this is about. As the king, you're supposed to follow me. So God rejects Saul, and he chooses David to be the king. Saul is still the king, but God has selected David to become the king. Well, you can imagine that creates a little animosity. So Saul tries to kill David many times. 
throwing a spear at him and sending out his army to try and locate David and kill him because he doesn't want David around at all. Saul is trying to kill David, but Saul has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David are best friends. You talk about a soap opera. This is, I mean, so Jonathan actually helps David escape from Saul's grasp, at least on one occasion. So they're best friends while Saul's trying to kill David. Well, it, there comes a battle, and Saul and Jonathan are both killed. So now they're out of the picture. David then becomes king. And he begins to reign or rule. He's in charge. And it isn't a, a long period of time. We're not really sure how long of a period of time it is. But there's some time goes by. And David uh, one day just says, you know what I want to do? I want to show kindness to someone who's still alive in the household of Saul. I want to find some of Saul's descendants, somebody that's still alive from his household, and I want to bless them and show God's kindness and favor to them. Now, it's interesting to know that he doesn't say, I want to find someone of the lineage of Jonathan. But he says, I want to find somebody of the lineage of the man who was trying to kill me, Saul, and I want to bless him. And so there's where Mephibosheth comes in. So David inquires around and he says, hey, is there anybody left of the household of Saul, any of his descendants still alive? And he calls this guy who knows the guy who knows the guy, right? Because everybody knows the guy who knows the guy who knows the guy. So he finds this guy named Ziba. And so he says, Ziba, is there anybody else left over in Saul's family? Ziba says, actually, yes, there is. His name is Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son. And he's crippled in both feet. And so David says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You go find him. So this is where we begin to talk about Mephibosheth, but really we're talking about Jesus' love for you. We're really talking about Jesus restoring your life and your family. Can we take a moment right now and can we pray? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, your word is so powerful. It is alive. It is active. It is true. It is real. And so, Father, help us to grasp by your spirit the full reality of this type and shadow, this, this foreseen if, of what was to come and what we can experience today through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, lead us and guide us in these next few moments. Holy Spirit, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about Mephibosheth for just a moment. The Bible says he was damaged because of a fall. What happened was um, uh, when Mephibosheth was just a little toddler, I guess, um, there was an attack. An army attacked the town that his family was in. And he had a nursemaid, if you will, and she kind of grabbed him up really fast, and she was running to flee the town with the rest of the people to escape from the attacking army, she trips and falls, and the, the, both of the feet of this little toddler are then damaged. And he, he's crippled for the rest of his life. There was, there was no surgery to fix that back then. And so that is part of the story of Mephibosheth. 
And so we see this, again, this type and shadow here that you and I are just like Mephibosheth in the fact that we were damaged by a fall. It was the fall of Adam and Eve of which we had nothing to do with, as which Mephibosheth had nothing to do with the reason for the fall. He wasn't a part of the army attacking. He wasn't a part of what his nursemaid was doing. She was doing the best she could. She just tripped. But it was no fault of his own. And you and I are faced with that same situation. The Bible says that we are not sinners because we do wrong things. We were born sinners because of Adam and Eve. We were born with a nature that is resistant to God. And we were born, we're suffering because of a fall, the fall of Adam and Eve. And yet that is the very reason why Christ went to the cross to strike down that fall, to change that situation, and to bring restoration of our lives to himself. So though we were affected by a fall, Christ died on the cross to, if you will, nullify that fall. Aren't you glad there's coming a day when there will be no more sin? There's coming a day when there'll be no more sickness, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more, no more uh, discombobulation, no more dysfunction, because there's going to become a day when righteousness reigns in our bodies, souls, spirit, relationships. Everything about us is going to be exactly the way God wants it. We ain't there yet, but we're going to get there. Hello? You all right? Don't go cold on me now. Okay. We're going to get there. But in the meantime, God restores us. And that's what is happening with Mephibosheth. He was damaged by a fall, no fault of his own. But we're going to see in a moment what God does to restore him and how he uses David. The second thing we see that Mephibosheth was searched for. It wasn't Mephibosheth writing a letter to King David saying, Hey, hey, here I am. But David just said, You know what? I want to bless somebody. And I, I'm going to be specific in who I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless somebody who's of the lineage of the guy who was trying to kill me. Now, how many of you know that takes the Spirit of God to do that? Because the Spirit of Chris is like, let's take a key along his car, let's put a knife in his tire, you know. Just. But the Spirit of God works in a person's life and says, you know what? You can bless and not curse, you can help and not harm. And that's the Spirit of God. Because you see, it's so unusual that David would seek after someone to bless someone of the lineage of Saul because it is standard practice for thousands of years that when there is a regime change, the new king doesn't want any competition from the old king. And he realizes the old king is dead, but his brother's not. And his sons are not, and his uncles are not. And it's very common practice for the new king to just send out a, 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 an order, whoosh, like whoosh, all of them. Very common. Still happens today. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the look on Mephibosheth's face? When Ziba went to him and said, the king is asking for you. But David's searching him out. David is searching for him. For him. Not against him. 
but for him. And sometimes we have a misconception that God's looking for us. Oh, no. But instead, we need to go, God's looking for me? God is searching for me? Yes. God wants to bless me. God wants to help me. God wants to pour his goodness out on me. Whoa, yes. And that's what we are being restored to is that we are getting away from the fact that God is mad at me. No, God put all of that wrath on the cross on Jesus Christ. He poured out all of that anger onto Christ on the cross because Christ was your substitution and my substitution. He paid the price for my sin and your sin, and the Bible says the sin of the whole world. He paid the price. So when God searches us out, it is not to punish us, but it is to bless us. It is to bring the, what Jesus did on the cross into our lives and bring restoration to us, and God seeks us out. I'm reminded of a, an incident that happened several years ago in Florida with the some people that we went to church with, there was, a, there was a, a, a girl that I went to high school with and she was girlfriend with my best friend and we were in band together and all that. And, and uh, she had just started coming to the church that we had all just started going to and her mom was kind of on the fence and everything, but there was a woman in the church and they met, this woman in the church and this friend of mine's mother met in Publix in the frozen food department. And this woman asked the woman, she says, you got to tell me about this church. And she said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And she led her to Christ. She became a Christian right there on the frozen food aisle in Publix. Let me tell you something. When God is searching for you, he's going to find you. He's going to find you. And you're right now, you're thinking, yeah, he found me, but what about my brother? What about my uncle? What about this one and that one and this one and that one? They seem so far from the kingdom. They seem so far from God. It doesn't matter how far they are from God. God zeroes in on them. They will be found. They will be found. And God will use you to help zero in on them. So David is searching for Mephibosheth, and he's searching for him. And he, Ziba has to go to a place called Lodabar. It is uh, a place where Mephibosheth was at. He was found in a place called Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? You know, you, you name your children after, you know, something you want them to be, like bright. That was a joke, but that's okay. You don't have to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> we, na we name places after, like, what it is, like seaside or sunshine or whatever. You know, we, we name a place. Lodabar was named appropriately. It just means no pasture. <laughs> they didn't even name it for anything like wasteland. It just said no pasture. No pasture. There's nothing there. There's no green. There's no life. There's no flocks. You're not going to plant a garden there and get anything. No pasture. You don't go to Lodabar to be successful. You don't go to Lodabar because, man, everybody wants to move there. Nobody wants to move to Lodabar. It's barren. But that's where Mephibosheth was. Again, remember, if the regime change means you're usually, you don't want to be like, hey, here I am. You want to go somewhere and you just kind of blend in, fit in, and it doesn't matter because nobody comes here anyway. I'll just hide for the rest of my life. I believe that's what Mephibosheth was doing. 
You ever been there? It's, it's, it's just, I'm going to go and get as far away from God as I possibly can. Lodabar is full of bars and other things. It's full of drugs. It's full of alcohol. It's full of adultery. Lodabar is full of all that, but that's why it's not a pasture. That's why there's no success there. That's why there's no goodness there because it's just that place where you go, nobody goes here to be successful. They think they're going to be successful because that's what sin looks like. Sin looks good until it bites you. And then you go, whoa. And then you're in a place where you never wanted to be. That's where Mephibosheth was. But aren't you thankful that God found you and I, even in our Lodabar, even in our place where we thought, hey, this looks great. And then when we got there, we were like, whoa. And it can't get out Unless someone comes and finds you, and David found Mephibosheth in Lodabar. But aren't you thankful that he didn't leave Mephibosheth in Lodabar? It would have been great. Uh, come on. It would have been great for the king to come and say, hey, look, we're going to have dinner at the best restaurant you have, which isn't very good anyway because this is Lodabar, but we're going to have the best restaurant with the best de- meal, and then I'm going to say goodbye to you. Well, that would be like, wow, okay, cool. But David didn't do that. He said, I found you in Lodabar. You're not staying in Lodabar. You're coming out. And God brings us out of Lodabar. God brings us out of sin because he is in the process of restoring us to his nature and not the nature of this world. Mephibosheth was saved by the king. Not by his own ingenuity, not by his own goodness, not by what he could do to become a good guy. He was saved by a king just like you and I are saved by a king, King Jesus. Jesus has saved us not because we're good, but because he's good. Not because we're worth it, but because he's worth it. Jesus has saved us just like David saved Mephibosheth. He brought him out And brought him into Jerusalem. And as the verse that uh, Shelley read, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Well, if you're there in in that chapter, look there at verse number seven. I just want to pull out four things and then we're going to wrap this up. Four things that are found in verse number seven. First, he says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You imagine. What Mephibosheth must have thought when, when David, you know, when they meet for the first time, it's kind of like, uh, Mephibosheth, hope you had a great life because that guy over there with the sword, yep, it's over. Imagine if that's what Mephibosheth was thinking, but instead David says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You ever had one of those encounters with God and he just, he immediately just calms you? You're so uptight, you're anxious, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? And you have that prayer meeting, you have that worship service and you're in the presence of God and you're just glorifying him and praising him and all of a sudden that spirit of the living God comes over you and the first thing he does is just calm you down. He goes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've not come to curse you, I've come to bless you. I've not come to end you, I've come to build you up. And that's what the Spirit of God does for us. He just comes in and he says, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because God loves you. You don't have to be afraid because God wants the best for your life. Are there ups and downs? Absolutely. And through it all, God is with you. 
Through it all, God says, I am working my plan. Be patient. Hang in there. I'm working my plan. Right now, it may be uncomfortable, but keep going. Don't be afraid. Walk by faith. How many of you have been there and you realize, yep, it's true. Walking by faith is the way to live. The second thing that we find in verse number seven, David says, I will surely show you kindness. I will surely show. He says, I will show. Isn't that just like God? God's the one that shows us his kindness. God's the one that shows us his goodness. God's the one that shows us how much we are important to him. He doesn't say, oh, you got to do a dog and pony show and you got to jump through these hoops and you got to be good and you got to do that and you got to do this and then maybe I'll accept you. He says, no, I take you in Lodabar just like you are and I'm bringing you out because I will surely show you my kindness. As Jesus Christ hung on the cross, God was demonstrating to the entire world just how much he thinks about us. Yeah, he hates sin. God hates sin, and we've all sinned and fallen short. Every one of us have sinned. God hates sin, but he loves you. He loves the person who is sinning. That's why Christ went to the cross, so that we could all be free. He died for the sins of the world. He says, I'm surely going to show. But the next thing he says is, he says, I'm going to restore. I'm going I'm to bring you out. I'm going to bring you back into goodness. You know what David did in this situation? He said to, to Mephibosheth, he says, listen, you know all that land that your grandfather, the king of Israel, owned, all that land that he owned, it's yours. It's restored to you. Obviously, after the, the Saul was dead, I don't know if David just got it all or it was dispersed among people. We don't know. But what we do know is this, in that moment, what belonged to Mephibosheth's family, had been taken, and now it's restored. He said, all of that land is yours. And then you know what David did next? He turned to Ziba. Remember Ziba? He turned to Ziba. Ziba had 15 sons. You think you got it rough. Man had 15 sons. I don't know how many daughters he had. He said, Ziba, you and your boys are going to work that land, and you're going to bring all the produce, and it's going to, it's going to benefit Mephibosheth. He says, the land's yours, and i got some people going to work for you. Man, that's just like God, isn't it? That's just like God. He gives, and then he just gives us a little bit more. He blesses us, and he goes, and by the way, I'm going to give you this also. That's the nature of God, and David is demonstrating that. So he says, I'm going to restore. But then the last thing he says there in verse number 7, you will always eat at my table. I like those first words, you will always. You see, you never have to worry about God changing his mind and going, you know, I restored you and that land and everything, but the economy changed, and so you're out. God's never going to do that. God's never going to come along and say, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we had a good run. It was nice for a while. But, um, you know, um, the table's getting full. So God will never do that. Never. Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table. Always. With all of David's children. The man at the table named Mephibosheth had a grandfather who was trying to kill David 
and now he's at his table. Wow. Isn't that just like God? Just like God. He restores us, and he says, you're always going to have fellowship with me. Every worship service, every Monday, Tuesday, Friday morning devotion, every evening in prayer, you will always eat at my table. My table is always available to you. I'm never going to change my mind. Boy, isn't that exciting? It's just like, God, I've got this access to you. Now, I'm going to ask you this question now. Are you utilizing that access? Are you coming to the king's table and go, man, I can have fellowship with the king Every day, yes, because he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't push you aside, push you back. He says, you are at my table with all of my children. You are at my table. But they don't know all the stuff. No, they don't need to know you're at my table. I have redeemed you. I have restored you. So you Baptists better get along with the Pentecostals. You Presbyterians better get along with the Episcopalians or Paleans or whatever they're called. And you non-denominationals, you just got to get along with all of us. Because we're at the king's table. We're not at the Baptist table, the church of God, the assembly of God, blah, 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 blah. We're not at any of that. We're at Jesus' table. We're God's table. And we're all the children at the table. And God is saying, y'all going to get along. Have you ever had to say that to your children? If you've had more than one, you have. Y'all hold hands until you work it out. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but we've probably heard the one, you want me to give you something to cry about? Y'all get along, work it out. We get to be at the king's table. How dare I be grudgingly about who else is here? I'm just glad to be here. Some people talk about getting to heaven and they're going to ask God, well, why did my puppy die when I was four? You're not, you know, I'm just going to walk in and go, glad to be here. I got no questions at all. I got nothing to ask. I'm glad to be here. Man, I'm glad to be at the table. I'm glad to be at the Lord's table. To say, God, you, you're the one that brought me here. I didn't earn it. I, I, there's no reason for me to be here. There's no reason for you to be at the king's table but the, except the fact that he invited you. And he said, come. And you came. And that's the call to every person here today. This, I, I know this, the vast majority of everyone here is a follower of Christ, but... I also believe there's some that aren't. And thank you. I'm so glad that people who aren't yet Christ followers are welcome at Hope Crossings every day, every Sunday, all the time. But you are welcome to the table. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your load of bar was or is. God is inviting you to the table to say you're just as much of a sinner as everybody else. Really no worse or better. We've all sinned. And he says, I welcome you to my table. I will restore your life. And I will take all of that junk and I'll wash it away. The guilt of your sin, gone. So you can be restored. That's a gift. 
That is a gift. And all you have to do today is just receive it. Just to say, okay. Because I, I, I mean, I guess Mephibosheth could have said no. He could have. He could have gone back to Lodabar and just said, oh, this is, this is me. He got an invitation from the king. Today, you are receiving an invitation from God to be at his table, to be a part of his family, because he loves you. Will you accept that? I would ask this question, what would keep you from accepting an invitation from the king of the whole universe? What would keep, what, what is more important than that? What is keeping you from the king? Is it worth it? I submit to you, it's not. Whatever it is, it's just not worth it. There's so much, there's such a better life for you at the king's table than in Lodabar. Let's pray together, okay?